You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Listening to another episode of Lords of Limited with your hosts Ben Warney and Ethan Sachs. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line is Ethan Sachs. Ethan, we are now sponsored by Channel Fireball Pog Champ. Oh my God, I can't believe it. And I'm so excited to finally get to share that news. I was like bursting the last few weeks as we were in talks <laughs> with them. And like every time we talked to them, I was like, yeah, yeah, but when can we tell people? Can we tell them now? And they were finally like, yes, yes, just fine. Go and tell people that's fine. So we sent out a tweet yesterday and the outpouring of love from our community about this accomplishment for us was really, really encouraging. And all the the welcoming from everyone over at CFB was very encouraging. We're really, really pumped for this. So Ben, what what does this mean for the show? What's changing? Is it now behind a paywall or something? Everything has changed. No, <laughs> um, the show is always going to be free, as you always say, each and every week. Um, so basically, it just means that our podcast episodes are going to be posted on the CFB website now and that we have a code for the podcast. If you would like to support the podcast, I'm an affiliate code and it is LOL all caps. And so this code doesn't provide a discount for you uh, as a listener. Rather, it's a way that you can support our content when you shop at CFB or if you purchase CFB Pro. So you use that code at checkout and gives us a little bump back on uh, what we're doing with CFB. Yeah. And just to talk a little bit more about our involvement with Channel Fireball, not only the podcast, but Ben and I are now on board as content creators and also our streams are now affiliated with CFB. Um, We're going to be writing weekly articles for the CFB Pro side. Um, So a lot more content coming your way from us there, as well as contributing weekly videos to their YouTube channel. So just a lot more stuff from us uh, really shows that CFB is investing in limited content which is awesome. So that seems to be the place to be for limited stuff at the moment, which is really, really cool. And I think just like personally for us, this is such a huge milestone. I mean, we we talked about this a lot. This is sort of in my intro for my first article. Like I grew up on Channel Fireball content. Like I would wake up, check my email, check Facebook, check Channel Fireball. (laughs) Those are like my essential things in my life. I would just, you know, devour all content, not just limited, but all content there. And to now like be on the other side of that and to be ushering in a new wave of limited fanatics, I, it is not a responsibility I take lightly, but it is something I'm excited to be doing. Yeah, it's a dream come true that I don't think I even knew that I had. 
Yeah, yeah, that's a great, great way to put it. So we're super stoked for that. And as part of our inaugural episode, partnering with Channel Fireball, they are sponsoring a giveaway for us, which is super awesome. So we're being able to give away a full booster box to one of our dear, sweet listeners. And we're going to be facilitating that giveaway on Twitter in the coming week. So Ben, do you want to tell people how that's going to work? Yeah. So on Twitter, what you're going to do is you're going to want to follow at Lords of Limited. That's our podcast account. While you're there, you might as well follow at Lord Tupperware and at Mr. Metronome, but not necessary for the giveaway. Um, and what you're going to do is we'll make a tweet saying, you know, here's what we're doing. We're giving away a booster box courtesy of Channel Fireball that they're providing to us. Hashtag sponsored. <laughs> and you will like that tweet. And when you like that tweet, um, you'll be entered into the giveaway and then we'll do a random number generator to figure out who the winner of that booster box is. And obviously, we would appreciate any follows, retweets, that sort of stuff on our Twitter account. Yeah, so we'll say that that giveaway is going to go until end of day Friday, and then we'll do the announcement of who the winner is on Saturday. So super awesome. Uh, really appreciate Channel Fireball sponsoring this giveaway, and we are really excited for all things to come with this uh, partnership. Yep, absolutely. Now, we got a lot to talk about otherwise here this week, Ben, but before we get into any of that, uh, the other side of things is the Patreon. Patreon.com slash Lords of Limited is where you can go to give back to the show directly if you so choose. We got a lot of sweet rewards there uh, based on the tiers that you give back, and everybody gets access to the Lords of limited discord uh, which we say each and every week is the place to be for 24 7 limited tech support and with this weird like 30-day stretch where we're at with all these like flashback slash new formats coming out or remastered formats in the case of Amonkhet next week um, the discord is a really great place to suss out all of those new sets right off the bat so i would highly encourage if you're interested in uh in jumping in a discord of like-minded people that that's the place to go. And we also want to welcome each and every week our new patrons. So this week we are welcoming Dylan, Jake, Reed, David, Dove, Lionel, Christopher, and Tori. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We really appreciate your support. Yep, cannot say thank you enough. And I will reiterate as I do every week, I think the Discord is a great way to keep in touch with magic. So the school year has started up for me. Had my first two days of school under my belt, and so life gets a little busier. And it's great to, whenever I have five minutes, be able to open the Discord, read what's going on in Double Masters, You know, check out a couple what's the picks, check out a couple what's the builds. It just keeps me fresh on my toes and ready to to jump in and hit that draft when I get home in the evening. Nice. I love that. All right. So we're going to be diving into a full M21 draft and then looking at some in-game decisions with that particular deck. That's right, folks. I went back to the M21 well just for you. I thought thought we could <laughs> avoid it, but uh, Amonkhet Remastered spoilers don't start until next week. So felt like it was a good time to check back in on the current format. But there's another current format that I think is worth touching on just a little bit at the beginning of the episode, and that's Double Masters. Yeah, excited to talk Double Masters here for a little bit. And I've got a draft log that I did uh, that we're going to hop in and take a look at to spur some discussion just about where we're at with the format. Not a ton has changed for me since last week. Uh, I really think the Naya color pairs are great at common and uncommon. Like if you're not getting busted rares, that that's a good default to try to get a very synergistic deck, you know, a green-white tokens deck, a red-white beatdown deck with some equipment. There's also a red-white grind deck, you know, if you get some rares. This format is so wide open. And I think there's absolutely absurd things that you can do, you know, depending on what sort of rares you open, the wraths. There's a lot of wraths in the format. Those really open you up to being a control deck. So it feels like you really want to be at one end of the spectrum. You know, you really want to be aggressive. You really want to be trying to get your opponent dead 
or you want to be going way over the top of what else is going on in the format. Yeah, I'm just still drafting Esper artifact nonsense with Hidden Stockpile and Thopter Foundry, just like I was a week ago. <laughs> I, I just can't get Thopter Foundry. That's the card I want to play with most, and I've not gotten to play with it yet. I had a coaching session the other day, and we drafted the sweetest Double Masters deck, and I was just so mad that I didn't get to play rounds <laughs> two and three with it. It was like four Glaze Fiend, three Relic Runner, Cranial Plating, Thopter Foundry. It was like one of the best aggro blue black decks I've ever seen. Wow. We'll stop gushing about double masters here. <laughs> no. Why Why stop now? All right. So pack one, pick one. Would you like to take a seat at the round table here, Ethan? I would love to. All right. So pack one, pick one. You sit down and you see the following cards. There's a Whisper of the Wilds, one in a green. O2 taps to add a green. And Ferocious tap add green green. Activate this ability only if you control a creature with power four or greater. This card has been fine, I think. Yeah, I think fine is a great way to, to describe that card. <laughs> <laughs> Vidalcan Infuser, three and a blue for a one four at the beginning of your upkeep. You may put a charge counter on target artifact. There's a lot of sweetness you can do. There's a Lux Cannon in the format, which is a rare that gets charge counters on it, and then you can tap it, remove three charge counters to destroy target permanent. That's the first thing that comes to mind when I see Vidalcan Infuser. But there's also something even as simple as if you want tons of mana for some reason, there's Everflowing Chalice. Um, that you can then end up tapping for loads of mana after Vidalcan Infuser has been on the battlefield for a few turns. So lots of sweet stuff going on with that one. It also goes well with Tumble Magnet, which is a three mana artifact that comes into play with three charge counters. And it, you can tap it to tap target artifact or creature if you remove one of those counters. But Infuser lets you basically do that every single turn. So it gives you like sort of like a pseudo icy manipulator in a way. I, I've been actually happy with this like charge counter theme a few times like there's the vidalcan infuser and then there's also the mere core tapper at uncommon that does a similar thing so i've found like with the cards that you mentioned like if you have a chalice really lux cannon is the thing that pulls me into that but i do find that the charge counter thing can get there have you seen siggy's splinter twin deck with cogwork assembler no what are you talking about so you can, uh, in the format, it's pretty, you have to get a lot of charge counters on an Everflowing Chalice, which probably needs uh, a Vidalcan Infuser. But I, I saw a screenshot where he had Cogwork Assembler, which is a three mana, two, three, and you can pay seven to make a copy of Target Artifact. Um, and, and then it has Haste. So you have that. Plus there's a one, four Artifact Corridor Monitor that when it ETBs, you can untap Target Artifact. So you can get Cogwork Assembler, you pay your seven with Everflowing Chalice, make a Corridor Monitor that has Haste. And then when it ETBs, you untap your ever-flowing chalice and you can you can go off with Splinter Twin. That is amazing. All right. Well, got to get that on my bucket list now. <laughs> New dream. Yeah. All right. So Parasitic Strix is up next. Two and a blue for a 2-2 two, two flyer. When it ETBs, if you control a black permanent, target player loses two life and you gain two life. Yeah, really important piece to the blue-black aggro deck. I th it was really great. Like you pegged that as what blue-black was trying to do last week. And then immediately after recording, I drafted that deck. And now I'm just in love with Glaze Fiend. I know. It's so good, right? Yeah. Kazool's Toll Collector is up next. This is two and a red for a 3-2. You can pay zero attached target equipment you control to it activate this ability only anytime you could activate a sorcery card's been fine it's playable in the red white equipment deck but nothing outstanding iron league steed four mana for a 2-2 haste with fabricate one this has been much better than it looks agreed glint sleeve artisans up next two and white for a 2-2 fabricate one i think this has moved down for me in my white common pick order uh behind thraben inspector for sure i think that the two standout white commons are ancestral blade and thraben inspector yeah Glint Sea of Artisan is still very good, though. Yes, agree. I think it's I think it's solid number three for me, though. Divest Black, target player reveals their hand. You choose an artifact or a creature card from it. That player discards that card. How has Divest been for you? I mean, I have never cast it, I don't think. And my opponents sometimes keep putting it in their main deck, and I don't know why. <laughs> 
I've had it cast against me and it's been pretty good a few times, but I don't think it's a card you should routinely be main decking. Darksteel Axe up next, one mana for the indestructible equipment. Equipped creature gets plus two plus oh and equip cost of two. And again, this is a card I would have thought would have been pretty premium. It has not been a high pick for me at all. And oftentimes I just want living weapons in my deck instead of Darksteel Axe. Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment. Conclave Naturalists up next for a green for a 4 4 when ETBs. You may destroy target artifact or enchantment or Ethan Sachs limited deck. Yeah, this card continues to ruin my life. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's just destroy target Ethan's game plan, I think is what this card says. Yeah, it's great though, right? It makes green the fun police in the format. Like green should want to be a proactive, aggressive deck that blows up the people that are trying to do the sweet things. Mm -hmm. Chromatic Star is up next, one mana for an artifact. This has shot up in my pick order. You can pay one and sack it to add one mana of any color to your mana pool. And when it's put into a graveyard from the battlefield, draw a card. It just does so much as far as like letting you split. Flash. There's so many things that want artifacts to go to the graveyard or that want to sacrifice artifacts. And it just does all of that so well and so efficiently. Yeah, and the fact that like unlike Pyrite Spellbomb, this, when it goes to the graveyard, no matter what, will draw you a card. Like so you can sack it to Orcish Vandal or sack it to Thopter Foundry and you still get a card from it. That's really good really big yep veteran explorers up next green for a one one when it dies each player must search their library for up to two basic land cards and put them onto the battlefield each player who searched their library this way shuffles it this card is not good right no my opponents keep playing it and then it dies and then i'm like and i get two lands and they come into play untapped it's yeah. like i i don't know why you would put this in your deck but i think you should not painsmith is up next one in a black for a two one when you cast an artifact spell you may have target creature get plus two plus oh and gain death touch until end of turn i like to redirect my opponent's painsmith triggers with my spell skite Ooh, that sounds spicy yeah but painsmith is great I, I, a very impressive card a really nice piece to that glaze fiend deck yeah for sure glass dust hulk is up next this is three white blue for a three four when an artifact etbs under your control it gets plus one plus one until end of turn and can't be blocked and cycling for hybrid azorius mana this card is nuts. Is it? It's been fine to good. I don't know that I would say it's it's been nuts in my experience. What what where is it best? Um in a deck chock full of artifacts. <laughs> um yeah, I mean it's just like especially if you're building your deck in a less aggressive way, this is a very real win condition and clocks your opponent super fast. Right. So you just stabilize and then turn the corner with Glass Dust Hulk? Yeah. I mean I've had I've had Glass Dust Hulk with double mirror retriever Thopter Foundry and a mirror smith in play. So like I'm just churning through my mirror retrievers and making one one thopters. And then when I cast my mirror retrievers, I make my one one mirrors and all of that is making my Glass Dust Hulk like an eight nine. So that's probably where it's best would be my guess. <laughs> Tuck Tuck is up next. Tuck Tuck the Explorer, two and a red for a 1-1 one, one haste. When it dies, create a 5-5 five, five legendary golem artifact creature token. I just wish like Squee was in the set instead. Ooh, yeah, that would be sweet. You know, like just something, some sat, like infinite sack fodder or something. I, I just don't know where Tuck Tuck is supposed to go. I mean, it's fine in the red black deck. I think that's where its best home is. I guess, yeah. And other rare... You get two two rares in these packs. Firelit Thicket is the red-green filter land. Meh, who cares about these filter lands? Yeah, for sure. And so uh, if you've not played any Double Masters, the other shtick of Double Masters is that you get to do two first picks. So we have to select two cards out of this pack. Where's your head at, Ethan? So my feeling is that Glass Dust Hulk is the most powerful card in the pack. And so I, my eyes go to that. And then probably Chromatic Star is nice because it just pairs well with it. Like I could take Parasitic Strix 
But if I'm taking Strix, I feel like you want to take like Strix and Painsmith to try and go down the blue-black aggro route. So I think those are my two options, either Hulk plus Star or Painsmith plus Strix. Yeah, I think those are both reasonable. I went with Star plus Tuk Tuk, and I don't think looking back on this that I would take Tuk Tuk, pack one, pick one again. So the options I like the most are Chromatic Star plus Glass Dust Hulk to try to do some stuff. It feels a little early to me to take Parasitic Strix, pack one, pick one. Like that really only goes in the one deck. So it's, it's a little narrow. It's kind of like a blue-black gold card and not the most powerful one at that. So I like Glass Dust Hulk Star, or I think there's also an option to take Glinsley Bartisan and Conclave Naturalist and just say, I want to be the green-white fun police. I, th- yeah. I think that's reasonable as well. Agreed. I, th- my only problem with that is that you're not, I guess with any of these picks, you're not really wheeling anything. This pack is a little shallow. Like when I'm making those kinds of picks, I like to be like, all right, I can take Naturalist and Artisan and then I can wheel this, you know, maybe I can wheel Thraven Inspector, though that's probably not happening, but you know, something like that. For sure. All right. Goodbye to the sweetness of Double Masters and hello to, I think actually this draft log is, is pretty interesting. So Ben and I set out, you know, we, last week ended the episode and tried to, to map out what we were going to do and realized, okay, well, we, we haven't done a full 45 episode. We haven't done any M21 What's the Plays. Wouldn't it be cool if we could combine those and find like a draft log that was interesting and then a deck that played out in that way. So I was like, well, how, how, how long could that take? And thankfully, it only took me to do two drafts before I think we got there. <laughs> the first draft I sent to Ben, I was like, well, if I'm going to have to play M21, I'm going to have some fun. And I sent him some five color nonsense. And he was like, you can't have gotten into this deck responsibly. Like, <laughs> we have to do a responsible draft log for the episode. I was like, fine, fine, fine. Um, so here we've got a full 45. So without further ado, Ben, would you like to take a seat here? Absolutely. So for the roundtables we do on the show, whether it's just going to be a few picks deep or for this where we're doing the whole 45, we are going to go through an entire draft log here. We're not going to say every single card in the pack. We're really only going to be discussing the cards that we think are in consideration um, for both time purposes and for you for being able to like keep all the cards in your head. So here we go. Following cards as options. There are no top commons in this pack, which is kind of a yikes to me, Ben. <laughs> yeah, the closest thing is Goblin Wizardry. Yeah. Um, moving on to the uncommons, there's... Tavern Swindler, fine role player in the Black-White Life Gain deck. Reign of Revelation, three and a blue for an instant, draw three, then discard a card. Burlfist Oak, the two green, green, two, three. Whenever you draw a card, it gets plus two, plus two until end of turn. And your rare is Hooded Blightfang. This is two and a black for a one, four, death touch. Whenever a creature you control with death touch attacks, each opponent loses one life and you gain one life. And whenever a creature you control with death touch deals damage to a planeswalker, you destroy that planeswalker. And I should say uh, that this is a best of three draft on Magic Online. Yeah, I think that does make a difference as far as your picks, for sure. I think any of Reign of Revelation, Burlfist Oak, Hooded Blightfang, and Goblin Wizardry are pretty defensible. Honestly, like they're all pretty flat in power level. Reign of Revelation is less interesting to me as a pack one pick one because I don't think I want to go down that route without a strong reason to. Mm-hmm. So ultimately, I think I'm I'm narrowing this down to Hooded Blightfang versus Goblin Wizardry. And Blightfang's a much more intrinsically powerful card wizardry's in a better color and a better deck I, I don't know that's a tough choice i think in the heat of the moment i would probably take hooded blightfang hoping that people on mtgo were off black and that i would get hooked up with sweet black cards i think that's where my head would be yeah that was where my head was at as well as the idea of this like line in the sand that we've drawn between three cmc and less and four cmc and more like it's just that there's so many good things to do at four mana and starting off with something like burlfist oak reign of revelation or goblin wizardry is just slightly less enticing to me than starting off with a good three drop yeah i like it all right 
Pack one, pick two. Uh, we've got some better commons here-ish. There's like a Mistral Singer. To follow up with Black, you don't have much. You've got a Caged Zombie, the 2-3 that can deal two if uh, a creature died this turn. Blood Glutton, the 5-mana 4-3 lifelink. Um, looking at the uncommons, we've got Riddle Form, the one in a blue enchantment that can become a 3-3 Creature with flying when you cast a non-creature spell. You can also pay three to scry one. Chandra's Pyroling, which really doesn't get there. The uh, one in red, one, three. Whenever a source you control deals non-combat damage to an opponent, it gets plus one, plus oh, and double strike. And rare still in the pack is uh, Temple of Silence, the white, black, scry land. Yeah, this is not the most interesting pack in the world. I think here, nothing matches up great with Hooded Blight Fang. So you're just trying to take the most rawly powerful card. And I think that is riddle form for me. Yep, and that was my pick as well. Wow, all lined up, one and two. I don't think we're going to stay that way, though. Pack one, pick three, following cards as options. As a follow-up to Riddle Form, there's an Opt. As a follow-up to the Hooded Blightfang, there's a Deathbloom Thalid. I think those are the two commons that stand out to me. There's also a Daybreak Charger in the pack. At Uncommon, there's a Pestilent Haze, the black minus two, minus two sorcery. And the rare still in the pack, not very good. Thieves Guild Enforcer, the like one mana, one, one flash, mills two. And then if your opponent has eight or more cards in their graveyard, it gets plus two, plus one in death touch. Yeah, I think this is an interesting pick here. I think you can make a case for any of Pestilent Haze, Death Bloom Thallowed, and Opt. Personally, I think I like Opt the most to follow up Riddle Form. Like I have no hesitation abandoning this Hooded Blight Fang because I think I would prefer to not be black, all things considered. So I think I would land on opt here and look to go down a spells route with riddle form. Yeah. So I think where I've landed and I've not played M21 in a few weeks. So, you know, I was trying to sh- dust off the cobwebs a little bit. Pestle and Haze, you and I are not high on. Uh, feels like just a sideboard card. Even in, in best of one, I'm not like main decking it. It just feels like it's too narrow of a window for it to be good. And Riddle Form, while it's powerful, we took it out of a fairly weak pack, and Riddle Form really is just a blue-red gold card, in my opinion. I don't think you can make it work in any other color pair, really. I agree 100%. And so I can take Opt here, but I feel like then I'm taking Opt only to go down the blue-red route. So it did feel to me, even though black is weak, that Deathbloom Thalad was the more flexible pick. I think that's a true statement, for sure. So that's where I landed here. So we've got the Blightfang, the Riddle Form, and the Deathbloom Thalad here. Pack one, pick four. Following cards as options. Only black card in the pack is Masked Blaggard. Another one on the black two on with Flash. Any other commons of note? Maybe a Truffle Snout. Uh, two and a green two two can either gain four or be a three three on ETB. At Uncommon, we've got Volcanic Geyser, our preview card. X red red for the instant. Deals X damage to any target. And another Burl Fist Oak in the pack. There's also Opt in the pack that I think is worth mentioning. And honestly, that's what I'm leaning towards here. So Geyser is fine Mm -hmm. i mean it's it's nothing special right like it's clunky oftentimes you're trading down on mana for it which is not really where you want to be and i think blackguard is not good enough to entice me to continue going down the black route Mm -hmm. so i I think i would land on opt here certainly if i had my other opt like i think riddle form opt opt is a route to go if you don't have that opt so if if we're operating on blight fang riddle form death bloom thalad i think i would land on geyser i guess I don't have any strong feelings. You could probably just hand me a card out of this pack. Here's a and here's I, a silent dart. Enjoy. Yeah, because this, this is just and this is something to keep in note when you're drafting, right? This there's no signals in this pack. I don't think. I don't think so either. Yeah, I mean, some, I mean, we have a rare and uncommon and a common missing. It's really hard to to know what has been taken out of this pack. And it's it's so weak that it's unlikely to also influence the course of your draft very very highly. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, so I did take the geyser here. I agree that it's not a very powerful card. Like it's like a C plus probably. It's trading down, etc. But I did take it here. Now we move on to pack one, pick five. Starting to see maybe some goodies here. So for the the blue drafter in you, you've got a rousing reed and a Vodalian arcanist still in the pack. For the black drafter, there's nothing. There's a duress in the pack. Um, for red, both Goblin Wizardry and Chandra's Magmut still existing at common. Yeah, and a Burn Bright that you could potentially wheel as well. Mm-hmm, sure. Yeah, so this is an interesting pick here. I think any of Magmut, Wizardry, and Rousing Reed are all very exciting. Rousing Reed less so for you with the route you've taken through the draft so far. But I think Magma and Wizardry, seeing that here after taking Volcanic Geyser, feels very good. Honestly, I would be tempted to take Wizardry and try to wheel the Burn Bright, I think, is where I would end up. I think maybe it's just my aversion to these four drops, but I, I landed on the Magmut here. My, my pick order could be a bit off with not having touched the format in a few weeks. I don't think that's true. I think Magmut's fine. Like, Magmut is going to be great 100% of the time, right? Wizardry is the the high ceiling. Like if you get there, it will be better than Magma. But if you don't get there, it's going to be a lot worse than Magma. I think that's that's how I would view it. Yeah, that makes sense. And again, I think Wizardry is going to be better in blue-red than it will be in any other color pair. Right, for sure. Yeah. Uh, pack one, pick six. So I've got two red cards, two black cards in the riddle form. So pack one, pick six. There are quite a few red and blue cards here. So for blue at common, there's Teferi's Protégé, Mistral Singer, and Frost Breath. And then in red, there's Fuhrer of the Bitten, Goblin Arsonist, and Spellgorger Weird still in the pack. Yeah, so this is feeling great for you right now. You get a snap up Spellgorger Weird as the best card in the pack. And it goes, you know, fine with the cards that you have right now. Spellgorger Weird is just rock solid, right? Yes. It has gone down a little bit, especially as the format has sped up. It feels pretty bad on the draw if this is your three drop that you play. But, you know, overall, just a very premium card. Still probably the third best common, and you're happy to snap it up. For sure. Um, pack one, pick seven, holy red cards, Batman. So there's Swamp, Mind Rot, and Radiant Fountain. And then the other six cards are red. We've got Turn to Slag, Pitchburn Devils, Hobble Fiend and Crash Through at Common. And then at Uncommon, there's Traitorous Greed, the uh, the steelier creature until end of turn, it gains haste, and then you get to add two mana of any color to your mana pool. And Kinetic Augur, the three and a red star four with Trample. Its power is equal to the number of instants and sorceries in your graveyard and when it enters the battlefield you can discard up to two cards and then draw that many cards yeah so i think it's safe to say looking at this pack that we know red is open at this point and that red is a hundred percent to be one of our colors yeah yeah this is like a signal smacking you in the face yeah so what of these options is going to be best for you that's super interesting to try to decide I think I would land on Kinetic Augur myself as the highest upside card, but I, I think you could make a case for Augur, Greed, and even, even Hobble Fiend as another two drop or Turn to Slag as kind of a clunky removal spell, although we've already got one of those sort of in Volcanic Geyser. Right. Yeah, I think the most intrinsically powerful card in this pack is Kinetic Augur. My, for myself, I made a bit of a like, not, maybe not preference pick, but a sort of like spicy pick. I have not drafted the like red, black, steel and sack deck just because it's hard for that deck to come together. And so I elected to take the traitorous greed here with with the the thought in mind, and we didn't mention this in the pack because it wasn't in consideration, but there was a hobble fiend in my pack one pick one. Yeah, I think that's super reasonable as well. So with that in mind, I took the traitorous greed, but I, I do think kinetic auger is like the quote unquote correct pick. Well, and I think some of, you know, it's, it's probably good to good time to talk about like you and I were diverging at the beginning of the draft a little bit. And mm -hmm. I think a lot of that has to do with where we were hoping or where we were planning to to end up. And I think I, I was making picks with the intention of maybe hoping or planning to end up in blue red. And I think 
the, the most defining pick, I think, is pack one, pick five, where you're taking magma over wizardry, right? Uh-huh. I think magma is the pick where you want to just stay open and not try to go for the best possible blue-red spells deck you could have. And then magma leads you open to drafting red-black and making the picks that you do the rest of the way. Taking magma over wizardry is electing to take the card with the higher floor, I think, but with the lower ceiling. Right, for sure. Yeah. Recapping so far, we've got Blightfang, Riddleform... Deathbloom Thalad, Geyser, Magmut, Spellgorger Weird, and Traitorous Greed. Where are we at? Pack one, pick eight. Pack one, pick eight. Still got some red cards to choose from. There's a turn to slag and a crash through. And two black cards to choose from in Fetid Imp and Village Rites. Yeah, I think this is between turn to slag and crash through for me. And I think I would take crash through hoping to maybe wheel that burn bright. There's a chance goblin wizardry wheels sometimes. I think it's just the highest upside card. And we've already got spell gorger weird. So like there's just already a reason to play crash through in the deck. Yeah, 100%. All right. And then on the wheel, three of the four red cards came around. So we mentioned goblin wizardry, but that's not here. But the other three red cards are with goblin arsonist, hobble fiend and pitchburn devils. Feels great. So potentially only one other red drafter, maybe some other people took cards of other colors but are still drafting red but mm-hmm. you wield that hobble fiend and you're gonna snap it up right definitely taking the hobble fiend there hobble fiend has actually impressed me a lot more than i thought it would even outside of you know a, a dedicated sacrifice deck like i just think it's it's tough that threat of activation makes your removal a little worse it makes tussling with it in combat slightly worse you know i, I think it's an impressive card yeah i agree two drops are great hobble fiends rock solid two drop uh pack one pick 10 uh we've got a goblin arsonist and a chandra's pyrling on the wheel as well as a blood glut in black yeah i think i would be on chandra's pyroing over goblin arsonist i still have not played chandra's pyroing myself i've not cast any yet but several times i've run into opponents who have had chandra's magmuts in tandem with chandra's pyroing and it's been annoying to deal with on the other side of the battlefield especially if you've got a lot of tutus running around i've been fairly impressed with the card and i think i would want to try it out here already having Chandra's Magmut in our pile. Yeah, at the time, I think I missed the Magmut synergies. I was more on this like sacrifice synergy thing. And so that's why I took the Arsonist. But that's definitely a, a really defensible pick and something I wish I had taken because in pack one, pick 11, we get another Goblin Arsonist alongside a bunch of junk. So we can sort of round out the end of this pack here. We get an Arsonist, pick 11, Masked Blaggard, pick 12, Burn Bright Wheels, pick 13, and Fear of the Bitten, pick 14. Yeah. So just at the end of this pack, where is your head at? What are you thinking? about what are you hoping for going into pack two i'm feeling great feeling like my most likely situation is that i'm going to end up in red black um i'm going to want to keep my eye out for more of the like traitorous greeds but also i don't have to be black which is a great spot to be in like i know one of my colors i know where i'd like to be for my second color but you know if i open some bomb in blue or white or green i can move into it for that so we only have two black cards at this point right the hooded blight fang and the death bloom thalad yeah i mean and the mass blaggard but that's not like a reason to be black yeah for sure and both of those cards we picked early so yeah worlds are oyster at this point mm-hmm. what's going on in pack two pack two pick one see the following cards as options there's a hunter's edge as probably the best common in the pack it's three and a green for the sorcery put a plus one plus one counter on a creature you control and that creature deals damage equal to its power to target creature you don't control there's a crash through as the best red common red for the sorcery draw a card creatures you control gain trample until end of turn and moving on to the uncommons there's a shipwreck dowser if you want to veer back towards the blue red spells deck potentially Three blue blue for a three three prowess. When ETBs return target instant or sorcery card from your graveyard to your hand. And your rare is Gadrak the Crown Scourge. Two and a red for a five four flyer. Can't attack unless you control four or more artifacts. And at the beginning of your end step, create a treasure token for each creature that died this turn. 
So Gadrak is really where my mind went here because I think that the the red cards that we have don't have to be hyper aggressive. And I think that's where Gadrak is best in a deck that doesn't care about attacking each turn. And if we end up with a lot of removal as perhaps being in red black, then then maybe we can turn it on. It's early enough where we could pick up some incidental artifacts for it if that's something we're interested in. So I, I ended up taking Gadrak here. Yeah, I like Gadrak a lot. Normally, this card has gone down a lot for me and I think for you as well, but it, you do seem set up to take advantage of it you know, despite the restrictions that are on it, because you're not really like a curve out beatdown deck at the moment. Right, exactly. Yeah, I'm into Gadrak here. Moving on to pack two, pick two. There's a Scorching Dragonfire that stands out as the best common in the pack. There's also Feet of Resistance, chillin'. Uh, put a plus one, plus one counter on a creature you control and it gains protection from the color of your choice. And then in the uncommons, best one is Lore Scale Quaddle, but we are way far away from that. That's the blue-green uncommon. Yeah, this is this is kind of a no-brainer Scorching Dragonfire at this point, I think. Yep, Windmill Slam, that bad boy. Pack two starting off very well for us. Right. And and feels great to still not have made a decision of what our second color is. Yeah. Moving on to pack two, pick three. There's a Drowsing Tranodon, one in green for the 3-3 three, three Defender. And as long as you control a creature with power four or greater, it can attack. There's Talarian Kraken moving on to the Uncommons. Four blue blue for a 4-6. When you draw a card, you can pay one. When you do, you can tap or untap target creature. That card just continues to impress me. It's so oppressive. Yeah, it's a house. Thrashing Brontodon up next. One GG for a 3-4. You can sack it, destroy target artifact or enchantment. And sadly, you don't get to have fun with our rare, which is Sanctum of All, the Wooberg Sanctum that lets you search up other Sanctums. Yeah, Ben told me I had to be responsible this draft, so no Sanctum of All fun for me. Yeah, it's a bummer to not see any good red cards in the pack and really not to see any black cards. But remember, we still do have Riddle Form. And so I think there's still a world where we could end up in red blue. So I I elected to take Talarian Kraken here. Yeah, I think that's by far the highest upside pick. I think we're, I don't know, we're not the most likely to play it in the world, but it feels like free to take out of a fairly empty pack for us. For sure. Moving on to pack two, pick four. See the following cards as options. This one is looking dicey. It's a thin pack here. <laughs> Mass Blackguard is here. One in black for two, one flash. You can pay two in a black to give it plus one, plus one until EOT. The only red card is Goblin Arsonist. There's a finishing blow. Four in a black instant destroy target creature or planeswalker. Again, fine card, not exciting. There's a rare and two uncommons missing. The only uncommon left is Archfiend's Vessel. So what do you like out of those commons there? I like Finishing Blow the best. I mean, I guess you could take Skyscanner if you wanted to like stay open, but I don't really care about that card. I think taking Finishing Blow is totally fine here. Yeah, as a one-of, it's it's fine to include in your deck. I agree. So Finishing Blow is a nice pickup. Moving on to pack two, pick five. Really feels like somebody has moved into red underneath us. Feels bad, man. Yeah, maybe that person who took the wizardry is like directly to our left. Yeah, that would be a bummer. So looking at this pack, again, the only red card here is another Goblin Arsonist, which we are probably not taking. Black cards, there's nothing exciting. There's a Mass Blaggard. There's an Archfiend's Vessel. Best blue card in the pack is a Read the Tides. Five and a blue instant, draw three or bounce two creatures to their owner's hands. There's some white in Chorister and Daybreak Charger, but you're not audibling into white for those level of cards, I don't think. I could, except my red cards don't really go well with those cards right now. Like I'm not, I don't really have a good red beatdown shell. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Yeah, I just grabbed Read the Tides here on the off chance that we end up in blue-red. I didn't think there was anything else worth taking here. Yeah, I agree. Moving on to pack two, pick six. Again, the beats keep coming. Uh, So only red card in the pack. There's an Igneous Cur. Other standout cards in the pack. There's a Feet of Resistance as far and away the best card in the pack. And then there's also at Uncommon, a Tavern Swindler chillin, one in a black for a 2-2. You can tap, pay three life, flip a coin. If you win the flip, you gain six. Yeah, I mean, this has not felt good. And I don't really like Igneous Kerr outside of like Houndmaster decks. 
But again, it's a two drop, which I need, and it's in the color I know I am. So I'm, I think I take it here. Yeah, I think you take it over Feet of Resistance. And I think that's a pretty disciplined pick as well. Moving on to pack two, pick seven. Not a lot going on here. Uh, so there's a Goblin Arsonist again <laughs> as the only red card in the pack. Oh, boy. You keep, keep showing up. MTGO's trying to tell you they want you to have Goblin Arsonist in your deck. Best black card in the pack is Rise Again, four and a black. The sorcery return target creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield doesn't really go in our deck, but there's also not a lot else here. Yeah, I, I d- again, I took Rise Again as like the highest upside pick. Could be fine in black red if we get like another Kinetic Augur or Crypt Lurker or something. But yeah, again, this pick just doesn't really matter. Yeah, I think there's a case for Goblin Arsonist too. That card goes well as a one of or multiple of, depending on how much Alchemist Gift Synergy and things like that you have. But right. there's so many, you're likely to wheel some too. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So moving on to pack two, pick eight, there's finally a glimmer of hope. This is a this is a big glimmer. This is a yeah. shining beacon of hope. <laughs> Best common in the pack is Alchemist Gift, I think, for what we've got going on. Black instant target creature gets plus one, plus one and gains death touch or lifelink. There's also a Fetid Imp, a Blaggard running around, but we're going to slam this uncommon here in Havoc Jester, four and a red for a 5-5. Five, five. When you sack a permanent, Havoc Jester deals one damage to any target. And we've already got the Wombo Combo of Gadrak Havoc Jester. Boom, baby. Moving on to pack two, pick nine. We're just going to kind of go through this quickly because there's not a lot interesting that happens here. We pick up an Alchemist Gift out of a fairly blank pack. There's a short sword that you can consider as well, but I think Gift has more synergy with what we've got going on in Black Red. Yeah, I want to just take a moment to talk about this. At this point, I'm thinking, all right, I'm pretty sure I'm going to be Black Red because of how good, like the common package of Alchemist Gift with Arsonist and Sacrifice slash uh, any skeleton archers that we can end up with that sort of like death touch pinging synergy i think is a real like backdoor for a, a draft that's honestly it's not going great right now well the packs have been fairly weak there was not really an opportunity like white has been open in pack two right yes but there was no real opportunity for you to get into white in pack one like you you never really had a chance to do it there were no signals nothing that would have said to you and that makes sense that you're seeing white then because it got cut super hard right and your neighbor's getting paid off but you didn't see like the premium white cards at the beginning of pack two either to really like get on board with it yeah no i agree you know despite the fact that white was open and we couldn't really take advantage of it here in pack two i think we're reasonably well set up to have a great pack three right because it, it was open in pack one and you know we're not shipping red here in pack two at all so by all by all signals should be getting hooked up yeah that's the hope all right so pack two rounds out with this alchemist gift pack two pick nine pick two pick ten there's nothing pick 11 we get a blood glutton pick 12 an arsonist on the wheel pick 13 another arsonist on the wheel and ending up with a duress pick 14 yeah so so again, I mean, we don't have to be black at this point, but that's where I'm leaning just because of the, I think the Thalid and the Blightfang and the Alchemist gift potential synergy with what we have is better than the the couple of blue cards that we have. Yeah, I think that's true. And we all, we also made blue red is best when you're all in on it, I think. And we, we made picks early on in the draft that like, you know, made that a little less likely. Yeah. So I think narrowing in on black and red cards only in pack three, and especially with pack three pick one, I think sort of leading us down that route with we've got at common choices between Grasp of Darkness and Deathbloom Thalid. And then the only red card to speak of is Igneous Kerr. Yeah, I think we're slamming Grasp of Darkness as the best card in the pack. Yeah. Pack three pick two. Kind of interesting. In terms of red and black cards, there's a turn to slag and a blaggard at common. At uncommon, there's Silver Smoke Ghoul, which is two and a black for the three one. At the beginning of your end step, if you gained three or more life this turn, you can return it to the battlefield tapped. And you can pay one and a black to sack it to draw a card. 
And then there's a Chandra's Pyreling as well. Yeah, nothing great here. I think Silver Smoke Ghoul is the highest upside. You know, we've got the Alchemist Gift. There's a chance that you can trigger Silver Smoke Ghoul off your Alchemist Gift. Mm -hmm. We can maybe pick up a Blood Glutton or something like that. I think we might already have one. Yeah, we do. We got one late pack two, I think, or pack one. Yeah. So Silver Smoke Ghoul seems good to me there. Yeah, the card has really impressed me. I, I like it quite a bit. Pack three, pick three. We're not, we're just not really getting there, Ben. Um, another Goblin Arsonist, thank God. So we can get our full play set of those. <laughs> uh, or Arise Again. And then Pestilent Haze is chilling at Uncommon. Yeah, I think we're taking Pestilent Haze here for the sideboard, probably. I think we're hoping to not start it in the main deck. But yeah, no, nothing there that we're missing out on. Pack three, pick four. Uh, there's some hope here. Scorching Dragonfire alongside Hobble Fiend and Arsonist and Liliana's Steward as the other red and black cards in the pack. Yeah, snapping up Scorching Dragonfire here. Pack three, pick five, a card that I'm not like super pumped about, but we we got to find ways to win games of magic here, Ben. Uh, the only card in our colors to speak of is Hellkite Punisher, the five red red six six flyer with fire breathing. Yeah, I mean, you take it. I think I'm hoping to not put that card in my deck, but we'll see where we end up at the end of the draft. Mm -hmm. Pack three, pick six. We have the options of Onaki Ogre and Crypt Lurker at common, as well as a Blood Glutton. Yeah, this is interesting here. It's hard without seeing a picture of the curve in front of me to know what I would take here. Mm -hmm. my, my gut says Onake Ogre because we've got two Scorching Dragonfires that we can leverage to push it through. It's got a lot of high power. I think I like that here. Yeah, um, I think that's totally, totally reasonable. I elected to take the Crypt Lurker. I think I was thinking about, oh, we've got the Hellkite Punisher and the Rise again at this point, And maybe that's a little package that we put in the deck. Ooh, yeah. that And also gets you a trigger potentially for your Havoc Gesture. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, we can sack an Arsonist or a Deathbloom Thalad or a Sapperling or whatever. All right, pack three, pick seven. Is, 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 are we supposed to be in the seat? Maybe yes, maybe no. There's a Dire Fleet Warmonger, the red black uh, uncommon, the three mana three three at the beginning of combat on your turn. You can sack another creature if you do. It gets plus two plus two and gains trample until end of turn. Yeah, happy to see that there. There's also an experimental overload. I know. I hope you weren't going to mention that, Ben. No, yeah. It's, <laughs> it was sweet to see both of those cards and that both roots, you know, blue red or red black through the draft would have probably gotten there. Mm -hmm. Pack three, pick eight. There's, you know, more more of the same junky commons we've seen with the Blaggard and Arsonist, another Hellkite Punisher, and then uh, rare still in the pack, Temple of Epiphany, the blue-red Scryland. Yeah, I don't know what our curve looks like right now because I'm so bad without Magic Online <laughs> helping me. <laughs> but I think I would be, if we needed curve, I would be on Blaggard. If we didn't need anything for the curve, I think I would take Temple of Epiphany and probably run it as a tapped Scryland on MTGO. Yeah, and that is what I ended up doing. I felt like our deck was defensive enough. We have a lot of really good removal. Remember, like we have double dragon fire, grasp of darkness. Um, we, we can play arsonists. Like we can be a very good defensive deck. Pack rounds out with nothing pick nine, turn to slag pick ten, two more arsonists, pick eleven and twelve, <laughs> uh, infernal scarring, and we get that Onake Ogre, pack three, pick fourteen. Ooh, that's nice. Does it end up making the cut? I think it does, yeah. So if we take a look at the deck here, I ended up building this as a 17 land deck. Looks like we've got about 14 creatures. The Onake Ogre does make the cut. It's very defensive. It's kind of a bummer that we only got the one alchemist's gift. Um, to go with our sort of two arsonists, but we've got, no, don't worry. We have four arsonists in the sideboard. 
<laughs> like minor sacrifice synergies with the, you know, the warmonger, the crypt lurker, the hobble fiend, traitorous greed, havoc jester, that sort of thing. Uh, and then at the top of the curve, Hellkite Punisher and Volcanic Geyser. Yeah, this is a tight looking deck. You've got great removal. I think the the decks that are trying to be aggro beatdown against this deck, I think are really going to struggle. Yeah, I think so too. And I mean, I do think Arsonist in my mind is a much better defensive card than it is an aggressive card. And so I'm happy to have any number of those to bring in if we see like, you know, red white aggro on the other side of the battlefield. Yeah, makes sense. And then in terms of other sideboard options, we've got a Blood Glutton. Uh, which we'll talk about in a little bit, I think probably should have been in the main deck because of the Silver Smoke Ghoul and a Duress. And I think those are probably really our only, and, and Pestilent Haze, of course, as options for bringing in against various decks. Yeah, I like it. Okay, so that's going to bring us to a few in-game decisions here. Starting off with match one, game one. We're on the play. We unfortunately have a hand of no lands, so we have to mulligan. But the mulligan decision you have now is seven cards that you're going to keep. And then the question is, what do we put on the bottom and why? So the hand is Mountain, Swamp, Swamp, Goblin Arsonist, Grasp of Darkness, Scorching Dragonfire, and Hooded Blightfang. Yeah, I think it could be tempting potentially to bottom a swamp here or something and try to keep maximum number of quote unquote cards. Um, since you had to mulligan, but I think ultimately I'm just looking to, I really want to hit my land drops. So we've got three lands here to guarantee Hooded Blightfang on turn three Mm -hmm. and Hooded Blightfang will hold the fort down. So I think we just want to get rid of our weakest card, which is Goblin Arsonist. Couldn't agree more. I think if you're on the draw, there's the potential to say, well, we'll hit a third land in three draws most likely so you can ship a land but on the play this arsonist i think is just going to be too low impact for the game yeah and we'll make sure that we have a link where you download the show that has all the imager pictures so you can follow along at home if it's if it's hard to just follow along with uh with what we're talking about but we'll, we'll do our best here all right so we're going to skip ahead to match two turn five here you're playing against what looks to be white green aggro it's it's turn five and so here's what's going on on the battlefield your opponent has three lands. They've been stuck on lands for, for quite a bit of time here. So they have three lands, uh, a tapped Concordia Pegasus, and a Celestial Enforcer that they just cast. That's the uh, three mana, two, three white tapper if you have a flyer. On our side of things, we've got a Goblin Arsonist and a Hobble Fiend in play. We've just played our fifth land for the turn. And in our hand, we've got Blood Glutton, Finishing Blow, Volcanic Geyser, and Alchemist's Gift. Now, here's here's the decision you have to make, Ben. So we've got the, the Wombo combo of Alchemist's Gift and Goblin Arsonist, right? Which means that if you cast Alchemist's Gift on Arsonist, it gets Death Touch. And so if it tussles in combat, it'll kill whatever it's being blocked by or, or blocking. And then if it dies, it gets Death Touch for the ping as well. So a potential two for two there with the gift is a very, a very cheap trick there. But we've got five mana and two five CMC plays in our hand. Is it worth attacking with the Goblin Arsonist here. Yeah, it's interesting. Like it's it's free theoretically, right? Because if your opponent blocks, you get to cast Alchemist Gift and you get to trade two for two. But ultimately that chokes your mana for the whole rest of the turn and you have no other good plays. So I think, you know, it's a little more straightforward in this scenario, but it's always worthwhile thinking about when you're going to make an attack that is quote unquote free because you can cast a combat trick if your opponent blocks. Are you willing to cast that combat trick? And is it good for you if you have to cast that combat trick? And I don't think 
And it's also relevant. There's dials to turn, right, as far as how much damage you're pushing. Like maybe if we're pushing five damage here, we're more willing to have a mana inefficient turn or something, you know. But pushing one damage certainly does not seem worth it, I don't think, to make this sort of a bluff attack, sort of not, because we've got the Alchemist Gift insurance. But I think we just want to stabilize our board here, play Blood Glutton, put a giant lifelinking threat onto the battlefield. There's also an information leak that happens here that I think people don't consider enough. That like, when I attacked with Arsonist into Celestial Enforcer, sure, I, could I be bluffing? I'm not bluffing when I do that. Like, I don't, I think, I don't think these, <laughs> right? Like, when you bluff attack, you want to be doing it when you've got like, my creature is garbage and your creature is worth protecting. And so you're not going to want to block, right? Like, I'm, I attack my derpy thing into your value engine. You're just going to be like, no, I just want to untap with my value engine. That's what's happening here. I'm not gaining anything by this bluff attack. And I am sort of spewing information. Like, my opponent's now going to go, oh, what could they have here? They could have Alchemist Gift. They could have Sure Strike. They could have, you know, whatever, like whatever the tricks that are available. They're going to start thinking about that. And so I don't think it's worth putting that into their head as well. Right. Well, and I think the other thing you mentioned is, right, creature quality. And your opponent is snapping this block off 100% of the time, right? I think. Right. Or, or should be if they're playing optimally. Well, because they're choked on mana. It's different if this Celestial Enforcer is going to be able to actually do something this game, but they're missing land drops. They're on three lands on turn five, you know? Yeah. So I think all told... Blood Glutton seems better, but even even more than this specific scenario, just the things you should be thinking about when you're attacking with combat tricks into a tapped out opponent. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. So we end up winning that first game against them, uh, partially off the back of, I think, them being mana screwed. We end up seeing both Ranger's Guile and Feet of Resistance in game one. So I elected to swap out. We had Crash Through in the main, which is basically only there for Spell Gorger Weird and, and sort of that were short playables. So I took that out and added in Duress, which I ended up bringing in quite a bit in, uh, with this deck, which I was surprised by. Ooh, that's spicy. I think Duress is actually just quite good against Green White, Feet of Resistance, Ranger's Guile. Yeah, that makes sense. So now in game number two, on turn three, we've got another interesting sort of mana efficient turn decision um so our opponents missing land drops again uh they've got uh, a concordia pegasus tapped and they just cast drowsing pteranodon for the turn for us uh we've played our third land for the turn we we went curve out again arsonist into hobble fiend and our hand is chock full of goodies two scorching dragon fires and a volcanic geyser as well as Deathbloom Thalad and Hooded Blightfang as creatures. So the options here, I think, I think mana efficiency is the heuristic in magic. Like more often than not, the player who uses their, the most of their mana on every single turn is going to be the one who wins the game. So I think there's just like, hey, we've got three mana to cast one of our three drops. Let's do that. But there's also, I think, an option of I can make a slightly less mana efficient play, use my dragon fire on the Pteranodon before they can like wake it up. And then I can also push through an attack for three damage. Yeah, I think. And so there's several things to consider. I think also specifically because it's a drowsing Pteranodon on your opponent's side of the battlefield also tips the scale a little bit. So you you could play Deathbloom Thalad and do nothing here. You could you could also attack, and if your opponent blocks, then decide to use Scorching Dragon Fire. But you could maybe push some free damage and then play a Death Bloom Thalad. That's something else to keep in mind mm -hmm. that that your opponent is not necessarily going to block because they're drowsing Tranadons, a high value thing. And by attacking, you're representing that you probably have, you know, something along the lines of Sure Strike is what would be going through my head if I were the opponent. Um, but ultimately, it's just a less a less efficient Scorching Dragon Fire. But I think the the safest thing to do is Scorching Dragon Fire this drowsing Tranadon. You know, leave a mana up floating for the turn but you're pushing three damage you're keeping your opponent on the back foot and then you're also 
preventing them from, you know, going land Pride Malkin, make your train it on a 4-4, and then all of a sudden it's out of Scorching Dragonfire range, and you are pretty sad at that point, right? Yeah, I'm in trouble. Like, I'm, I'm very scared of this Pteranodon becoming a 4-4. I think it's it's slightly different, right? If your opponent hits a land drop and just plays something like a Pride Malkin as a 3-3, does that change your play at all here, or are you still snapping off Scorching Dragonfire to push damage? Well, I gotta call a judge first if my opponent's Pride Malkin is a 3-3. But I, I, the, the truffle snout, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, I know what you mean. Uh, yeah, I, I think that does make a difference. I mean, your argument of, you know, we know we're facing green white. We know we've, we've at least seen feet of resistance and hunter's edge in the last game. Like they have ways to buff their creatures out of scorching dragon fire range that the point you make about that happening, I think is enough of an argument to tip the scales, not only adding in the fact that we get to attack for three this turn. Okay. Yeah, cool. I like the scorching dragon fire play there and having a slightly mana inefficient turn. Yeah, I think that's fine. I think those are the important important check-ins i think is to be like well like you want to make sure you're always like biasing towards the most mana efficient plays but also recognizing okay what is the mana inefficient play and why would that be better you know i think those questions are important to ask for sure all right the last situation we're going to take a look at here happens in match three game one against a blue red opponent so we're on the draw here our opponent didn't do anything until turn three they played a mistral singer but then on turn four they cast opt attacked us for three and then cast an onaki ogre on our side of the battlefield we've hit our fourth land drop we have a goblin arsonist our trusty arsonist on turn one every every game and uh, last turn we cast a death bloom thalid and now in our hand two more lands scorching dragonfire finishing blow and hellkite punisher at the top of the curve i think we have about three options you can one scorching dragonfire onaki ogre now and attack for four and try and race. And that's you know slightly appealing because we have another removal spell as backup next turn and finishing blow where no, we can cast that for whatever their other threat is. Or what you can do is attack with Deathbloom Thalid and see if they trade. And then you have Arsonist back on blocks because Arsonist on blocks can trade with the Ogre. And then you can elect to use your Scorching Dragonfire to kill the Mistral Singer instead because that's a flyer and that's sort of tough for us to deal with. So uh, uh, some some interesting decisions here. And I think it boils down to, do you think you're the, you're the beat down in the situation or not and why? Yeah, I, I think my gut tells me that I would like to Scorching Dragonfire the Onake Ogre and just not even potentially let my opponent leverage removal spells, right? Because if, if we make the play where we attack with Deathbloom Thalad, they don't block and we're hoping to hold Arsonist back on blocks. All of a sudden, you know, they shock our Arsonist and we're staring at six damage potentially. I guess we could kill the Onake Ogre with Scorching Dragonfire at that point, but we do feel like the beatdown here if we get rid of Onake Ogre, right? We're mm-hmm. pushing four damage a turn. Our opponent would theoretically be pushing two to three damage with their Mistral Singer, depending on how many spells they play. And I think we've got another removal spell queued up for next turn in Finishing Blow. So it feels good to snap off the Onake Ogre here, push four damage, and then, you know, if our opponent plays another threat, great, we kill it with Finishing Blow. If they do some cantripping, you know, to try to push some damage with the Mistral Singer, we can Finishing Blow the Mistral Singer. And then ultimately, with these two land drops in hand, we're fairly likely to curve into Hellkite Punisher on turn seven, right? Mm-hmm. So the, the more pressure we can put on, the better our Hellkite Punisher is going to be because we could maybe get removal out of their hand before we land the Hellkite Punisher because we're putting them on the back foot. And then I think the, the last thing to sort of keep in mind here is that I think Blue-Red is at its best when it is the beatdown. Yes. And so I think like choosing to play defense, like we have a choice here, right? And I do think it's reasonable to choose to play offense or defense here based on what we've got in our hand. But I think knowing what the opponent's deck likely wants to do and being able to put them on the back foot where cards like Goblin Wizardry are going to be worse that we would probably suspect the opponent has and things like that. 
all leads me to want to dragon fire and attack for four. Yeah, I think a hand of two removal spells and, you know, it's not like a bomb, but a, a powerful seven mana creature that has to be dealt with. And seeing that we've got the ground locked up with Thalid and Arsonist, I do think you could really make a case of like, I think we can choose to be the con- the control player here. We can be the defensive player here. We've got the tools to do that. But all you're saying about like, you sort of invalidate Red Blue's game plan. The, the scariest card in my mind to see would be Goblin Wizardry because that like wrecks my Arsonist and Thalid in in different ways but sort of wrecks our ground attack game plan so i feel like as as long as i don't see that i can generally outpace with my removal and the creatures i have i can outpace the sizing of blue reds creatures you know what are they gonna they're gonna play a roaming ghost light next turn or a a spell gorger weird like their creature sizing is generally small right and i I think it it changes things too if you don't have the second removal spell in hand Mm mm-hmm it feels a lot worse firing off Scorching Dragon Fire here if we don't have Finishing Blow sitting in hand. Right, because I feel like then I need to go, well, my creatures on the ground can take care of Ogre, and I need to use this Dragon Fire as a very choosy removal spell for either this Mistral Singer or, like, let's say they go for a Rousing Read on the Ogre. Like, you know, then you're going to be happy to have that. But then if you're left removal list for them to then follow up with something else, you feel feel sort of uh in trouble exposed exposed yes 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 um <laughs> so that is gonna do it for our what's the plays again like i said we'll have those um for you to follow along with at home if you want and just to uh just to report some sick brags ben this deck went 30610 Ooh, nice which i was really surprised by honestly like i thought that draft was a little rocky and i didn't think the deck looked that good i mean it had a lot of removal but ways to win games felt scary so i think this deck is good for the mtgo metagame right i think in the in the queues on mtgo the, the better cards go quicker and i think the overall deck power level is probably just a little bit lower and i think you've spent a ton of time jamming best of one where like you know it's a little more coin flippy and you really want to be proactive and this deck is not the most proactive I, this deck looks fine i to just good meant to me. that there are zero shrines in the deck so how does it win <laughs> yeah i mean this i would give this deck like i don't know a six and a half seven out of ten something like that yeah that seems fair i think this is an above average deck on mtgo right especially given the draft that was a low power level draft i was thrilled with the result of this deck out of that draft i think yeah for sure absolutely all right great place to wrap us up there before we give our usual spiel about our intro outro music and all that we got to check back in and thank cfb for sponsoring the podcast i can't believe i'm saying those words yeah it's never gonna get old saying that word so thrilled like genuinely just super super excited to be a part of the cfb podcast family and if you are heading on over to channel fireball for any and all orders you can use the affiliate code lol all caps when you check out and that uh, really helps let cfb know that this partnership is worth it yeah absolutely thank you as always to salty pretzels for our intro and outro music make sure you give that a listen you can come check out our streams on twitch i'm at twitch.tv slash lord tupperware ben is at twitch.tv slash mr metronome mr is spelled out we're both under those same usernames on twitter and you can tweet at the podcast at lords of limited if you've got any feedback about the show or any questions shoot us an email at lords of limited at gmail.com thank you so much for listening and we'll catch you next week for another episode of lords of limited thanks everybody see you later
Chromatic Star is up next. This has been gone. This done been gone way up in my pick order. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> Chromatic Star is up next. This has shot up in my pick order, much like a shooting. No, no, no. no. <laughs> just, put, just, put that, just put that in the outtakes too. Yeah. I don't know where, I don't know what I was trying to do there. <laughs>